Hey, I'm Chris, and welcome to the VR UX Design 101 series. Uh, today I'm joined by Roger and Dennis. They are the creators of the Virtual Physics Hand Lab app from Holonautic. Is that how you say it? Holonautic, yes. Holonautic, yeah. Exactly. And uh, welcome, gentlemen. I'm excited. We're going to have a really good conversation today. Very excited too to especially talk about UX and UI design in VR. I think it's a topic which has not been covered enough, and we are very happy that you started the series on that because there's so many things still to learn and explore. Exactly, and uh, I just want to get right to it. The so your application, your experience, your 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 f physics sandbox, all of the above. Um, I recently tried it, and it was. To me, something that felt like, uh, oh, this is where uh, hand tracking has come. It's come quite a long ways. I used to, in 2016, I used to work for a medical VR company wherein we would use Leap Motion and the Oculus Rift to sort of sell to uh, doctors. And every time, um, sell this medical VR software to doctors. And when, every time the doctors, when we were like in the showroom showing them, um, the software, whenever they sh we showed off the leap motion and they saw their hands, it was like there was this immediate like spark lightning or lightning. It was a spark. <laughs> they would just, all of a sudden it would be, they would have this instant reaction because they would be like, oh my God, this is my hands and I can move them. And it's, it's crazy. And like anything I've ever seen before, fast forward to 2020, here I am. And I'm going through your experience and I'm cutting off my hand. I'm playing around with the sizes of my left and my right hand. And it's going from like cutting off my hand, jarring, to seeing the size of my hands being big or small, really weird, to um, doing the force push of the objects and feeling really powerful. And, and so there's just this wide range of emotions and feelings that you're giving me here. <laughs> Um, and I'm curious to know, like, what drove you? What what sort of what made you want to, like, include certain experiences over the others? Like, you know, can you talk a bit about that? Well, I think uh, we both had the same uh, reaction when we first tried hand tracking that you had when you tried leap motion. Actually, we tried the Oculus hand tracking first. And we had that exact same thing, like, whoa, that's basically, that increases immersion by a tenfold compared to just having controllers and not seeing really your finger move except when you press buttons. But as soon as you really, like, see your hands and they move exactly how you feel they move, um, when you f because when you move your finger, if you, when you don't see them, you, you can feel, okay, they're moving. And when you can see that uh, those fingers which are moving uh, map exactly to what you feel they do, immersion is really much better and yeah of course uh, they're just ghost hands and as soon as you want to interact with stuff you can see okay that something is wrong it's not really there so at some point it, uh, it somehow also breaks the immersion but if um, you add on top of that physics uh, using like realistic collisions that when you press on an object which is like heavy or like a static table and you see okay my fingers are bending back backwards that adds another layer of of immersion. I would you're like, whoa, that's I really have the feeling no VR is like the real world. Yeah. And um up to some level you can really extend that because uh, 
there is, you know what, uh, there is proprioception which basically tells you in your space where your hands are. Somehow you know, even when you don't see your hands, you know, okay, my hands is more or less here. I'm opening my hand or not. And when you, you can like fake that in VR, that your hand is not exactly where it is in real life, but you see that your hands uh, react physically to that, to that environment, uh, then your brain will automatically like compute that together and think, okay, that's my real hand, even though it's not exactly where it is. And I'm not touching something for real, but when you can see your finger bending backwards, you, 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 you have some kind of fake feedback happening in your mind. And that really, we discovered that, and that was really something cool. And then building on, the, on top of that made a lot of sense. Wow. Um, and, you know, I also noticed that you, not only were you, because um, one of the things that it definitely feels um, where in, like, for example, like, um, you're using also audio to compensate for the lack of tactile feedback. So it's not just physics, but it's also audio um, and uh, perhaps you can talk a little bit more about how you incorporated audio in there to make up for that as well. Well, I think the audio part is still something where it's very rudimentary. We plan to add much more audible feedback. Um, because, yeah, the, the thing is in VR, especially with the three-dimensional space, right, where we can hear something on the right of you and you actually can have a way better spatial awareness. Um, audio feedback uh, when it comes to UX and UI design is, is very important, especially if you don't have the haptic feedbacks on the controllers, right, when you have pure hand tracking. Um, it's very important to give some kind of sense of presence uh, with helping of the audio system which you can use. And especially like, you know, spatial audio is probably one of the most underappreciated things in our development because it's really hard to make it right and not noxious and, you know, integrated with UX design. But it adds tremendous value if it's done right. Wow. And so just uh, just a quick note, gentlemen. Um, while I, I know this is weird, but I want to make sure that the audio is super perfect. Um, while one of you guys mm -hmm. is uh, completely like just talking, I want make, can you one of you, perhaps there's a mute button. Go ahead and mute yourself really quick because there's still a little bit of echo coming through the other person, even though you're using. It's a lot better than before, but there's still a little bit. And so okay. you know how YouTube people are. <laughs> um, perfect. So thank you so much. Um, let me talk let me ask you about sort of like um your design process in ideation through iteration like what was it to come up with an idea and then prototype it and see it in vr in practice and realize oh this was nice on paper but in practice not so much can you talk a little bit more about that yeah, I, we actually made a class about that where, I don't know if maybe you're aware of it, we made a master class about um, not only hand tracking interaction, but like how to build uh, UI and UX experiences for VR especially, because you cannot just like uh, adapt and like port what was done for normal PC or mobile uh, user interfaces to VR, but you actually need to think different. You really need to like come up with new ideas and always test them into VR to see, okay, does it actually feel good? Does it actually make sense? Uh, would people actually make the effort to go into VR to do those interactions? Or will it just be like a gimmick and cumbersome and it's actually more uh, optimized to just do that on a PC or on a mobile? Does it actually make sense to do that in VR? So uh, maybe Roger, you want to talk a little bit more about that? like how we actually iterate and prototype and come up with 
potentially new concepts? Um, so yeah, we, we discovered very early on that um, most of the ideas you come up with on the whiteboard, right, when you sketch out ideas and you imagine it, how it would be in your imagination, like how it would feel in VR, and then you build a small prototype um, for maybe, you know, a few days or sometimes a week or two until you have all the puzzle pieces together, and then you try it and you're so disappointed where all the things which sounded so amazing in your head and when you visualized it and when you thought about those superpowers and those things which you could do, you build it and then it doesn't feel good or you get immediately motion sick, which is one of the biggest problems. And you have to go completely back to the, to the drawing board and come up maybe with a completely different idea. And we went in the beginning when we started a company through multiple months of just iterating of multiple ideas. And we were sometimes lucky where the first initial prototype like worked out really well. And sometimes we were really unlucky where just no matter what we tried to add, it just never felt right because you have to think different in VR and it's very hard. So we have um, actually developed some kind of system where we always say, okay, we, we, we come up with an idea, we build a small prototype and we actually have to add in that prototype already um, sufficient visuals, also visual feedback, audio feedback, like a lot of things have to be there to be able to judge a prototype um, in VR before you can say, okay, it's really not working. Because sometimes it's just the small things which just add that little bit of magic to make it feel awesome. So you have to be very careful to design those things already in a very early prototype stage, with all the senses involved to be able to judge it. Um, and so we usually have an iterate and then we test it with not just us, but also like externals, which have not that much experience in VR. And then we often just kill it. Uh, the majority of applications we build or prototypes we developed, we killed and only very few of those uh, prototypes actually make it up to um, a second test iteration where we go further and we test it with more people and then see if it still clicks, if the majority of them enjoy it. And then we go further and invest heavily into actually developing into a full-blown experience. Well, I really think that is something which you have to learn when you work in the spatial computing domain, at least how it is now, that the first few months you will make mistakes. And you should not be afraid of making mistakes because there's the, the book has not been written. The golden rules of design and what makes fun and what is problematic is not there yet. We still have to, you know figure out new ways. For example, HPL has done many things which we haven't seen before, at least, um, in using hands and physics in a combination which gives a completely new experience. And uh, basically, it was uncharted territory. We didn't know what will work and what would work. So you really have to iterate and keep it small, make it simple. Even you know, big studios like Valve uh, also say that they build small prototypes, like small rooms. They get uh, to design like one experience and then they test it multiple times for iterations until they you know have that room finished and then move on to the next small experience and then they build a whole game on that but always keep it small and also throwing it away and killing a lot of experiences when they just don't work out as you initially had it in mind well i really did uh, yeah i really dig the rapid iteration approach can you perhaps provide a more uh, a specific example of one thing that you really really wanted or really thought it would work out but but in the end, it just sort of didn't. Uh, which one of those? Um, <laughs> well, there's uh, a lot of where you got inspiration, where we got inspiration from, like, you know, existing experiences, like somewhere where you have to management of multiple things happening in the same time. Um, and you wanted, wanted to basically create a stress environment for the user. Um, and we build multiple small experiences and then try to bundle them together into a more 
fun experience where you had multiple things to take care of with time management and figuring out what to do at what time that you managed to keep everything alive. And what we experienced was that it's just stressful and because of the limited overview you have in VR, it gets um, very, it's not fun to be so much under stress and not knowing what's going on. Uh, very different from like if you have a top-down perspective, right? Those, uh, if you have a lot of things going on, you have an overview, it's fine. But in VR, because you're so in first person in most experiences, it's really hard to not lose track things. And it's not fun to be frustrated and not being able to keep up with stuff. Um, and that's basically what uh, one of the experiences we built was not as exciting as we initially thought it would be when we actually combined the different experiences, which were fun on its own. But as soon as we merged them together, they actually fall apart and become each one became less fun than the individual ones. Wow. Well, Dennis, do you remember what was the disappointment you had? Uh, well, we, we also learned that we, we tried very early on to reproduce some kind of melee combat, you know, because in VR it's really fun that you are able first to shoot guns, but also do melee combat, and of course that in a physics-based manner. And uh, the first iteration of melee combat, um, it was in first person, but we discover if you have multiple enemies, you need to fight at the same time, and like some are coming from behind, or because you have that limited field of view of first being in first person, but more limited because of... Uh, VR having a limited field of view, which is even more reduced. Uh, then we started to experiment more and we wanted also to have some kind of god game. And then we came up with the concept of what, what about combining both, that you can do some kind of melee combat and interactions, but from an out-of-body perspective. And that basically solved another problem we had, which is that limited field of view. So you could basically see your whole surroundings, but still interact by basically incarnating the yourself but from an out-of-body perspective and then you had a lot more freedom and overview on what was going on uh, maybe you heard about it it's a holoception and uh, one of the other big project we are basically uh, working on and we're trying to port it to as many platforms as we can and that was really then something that we wanted to push further because it was really trying to do something different like a new perspective um, to a, for a game in VR and that's really what we like to do is to try to do something different and really explore how can that like come up with like new interaction system, new ways to do stuff, new ways to like move around? We also have a smooth locomotion system, but because you're so you're like zoomed out from yourself, so you move like a lot slower, even though you're yourself or your character is like running around and jumping because you're not really inside the body. You have different way to do stuff in VR. You can really interact differently. And that really allowed us to like really think out of the box and come up with like new interactions and new way to do stuff. And that was also the, the base ground of like learning a lot about physics-based interaction and combat because the, the whole body was physics-based. The legs could move, everything would interact with the, the rest of the world. And then after that, of course, adding physics-based interaction to hand tracking made a lot of sense because you also could have somehow that... Uh, perspective uh, a game you could do by not really having your real body exactly where it is but you see something different but uh, the, the your virtual body was interacting with the environment and for that you feel a lot more immersed and then we continue uh, continued iterating on that a lot for different experiences so I want to go a little further a little deeper on the physics integration with hand tracking because um, something that it that I'm curious to know more is how do you how are you guys straddling that line between um, intuitiveness and ease of use? For for example, like um, 
uh, in a particular application, some you know, it, for the first time or a couple times that I'm going to use it, it, it does make sense to be able to like open a door, grab it, and just like I would in the real world. Um, but if this is a repeated motion that's going to happen over and over and over again, um, how like isn't it that wouldn't would it not make sense to sort of just like have a laser pointer and how and like just point at it and you know press a button like how do you straddle that line because you know i can totally see the the pros of having that extra immersion but i can also feel the cons in that like oh man i this is just like real life if i wanted to be in real life i'd be in real life like opening so i'm just you know how how do you yeah what does that debate look like for you guys Go ahead, wait. Okay, yeah, so it's one of the hardest problems to solve, right? Because something might be fun like five times, ten times, and then it gets annoying. And it's very much what the, uh, the experience you want to build. If it's for businesses, probably you should uh, try to scale back on the immersiveness for making it ease of use simpler and faster. Uh, but for other parts, um, it's really important that the immersion is there, that the presence feeling is there. To create like a an immersive environment that you can create situations where maybe um, fear and panic should be induced, and so the more realistic you design it, the more likely is it that you maybe trigger that emotions in the brain to see how someone reacts in a more problematic situation. And it's it's really depends of what you want to build. And there's not like a golden rule. Okay, that's how we do it in VR for everything. I think it's very important of what you think might be best fitting for the experience you are going for. And I wish I could give you like, okay, that is the thing everyone should use, but it's it's just not the case. It's in certain experiences, like when you remove that, um, you know, the fact that you actually have to be careful of how you grab something or that you can grab it in multiple different ways, and even though it's hard to implement, might add a lot to the experience. Whereas in others, like if you have a training, you don't want the user to spend five minutes of figuring out how to hold this. You just want to have a quick grab and and you know do the task which needs to be there. Um, but if you have surgeons, right, you, if you want to actually train the precise movement of that, maybe you need to have higher accuracy on uh, how they hold their hands, how they hold the instrument and simulate that very precisely, even though it's, so to speak, annoying. It would be easier if you just do this and it gets the slice done perfectly. That's not the goal of the application. It's actually to teach and to be careful about how you handle the instruments and that you can easily do mistakes. So it really depends on what, what is the goal of the application, what is the most important part of it. And and then you have to make a design of what makes sense to do, what should be easy, what should we do with a simple menu and quick go-through, and what should be more interactive and immersive for, for the specific purpose of the application. They actually made a really good speech about that uh, for Half-Life Alex. For example, the door opening, they really wanted that to be a non-event. Basically, you aim at the handle, you press a button, and it opens the door automatically. If you really have to handle it manually, then move and push push the door and you have to do that every time you want to go in a new room it gets really annoying frustrating and if you move when you do that you might like hit an object so for those kind of operation where it's basically very clear what you want to do you basically want to press the handle push it down and then open the door so that you can basically automate in some way but still make the the user think okay i did that i pushed my hand even if my hand basically didn't move i just put my hand there pressed the button then if you see your hand actually doing the movement automatically even if you don't do it yourself your brain will basically get that as if the, it was doing it itself and it 
should be done the same, um, depending, of course, on what kind of application, like Roger said. But if it's just like you want to interact with objects, like grab cubes or do that, if um, in hand physics lab, the first iteration, it was fully physics-based. So if you wanted to grab an object, you had like to slowly, precisely put your hands and be sure that all the fingers were wrapping the object and then you could grab it and still it was not really like it was fun it was a fun experience but it was not really reliable when you wanted to do something precise or quickly grab object you couldn't do that but now there will be a new gra gra um, a new snapping system which basically predicts in advance what's going to happen and how you're going to grab the object autom automatically snap to it in a predefined pose that's very useful for like specific tools or for example a pencil there is no like five different ways you can grab a pencil if you want to write there is, for most people, only one way you can grab it. It's like between the, the thumb and the index, and then you can just pick it up quickly. You press a button, or you, you with hand tracking, you just I can make a grasping movement, and the pen will automatically go there. It's, of course, still fully physics-based, fully immersive, but we basically help the user to, to, like, we can guess what he's about to do, and we help him doing it so, but, but still we make it so that he think, okay, by doing a grasping gesture it went into my hand even though I didn't like precisely myself move the fingers to make it happen we it's basically the um, like the middle ground between like purely like realistically mapping what the user is doing with his fingers and trying to like guess what he's doing and helping him so that he has an easier time and a less frustrating time especially because uh, by purely using a physics um, a simulation from like game engines it it's not very precise and perfect, so if you can really help the user to make the experience more pleasant and more stable, that's only beneficial. Yeah, that actually, and actually, this is something that I wanted to sort of draw for you guys, because the other, when I was trying out your experience, let's say, so here's a camera, so, so there's a hammer, right, and I remember there was a hammer, and I'm going to draw a quick hammer here, and, uh, and I wanted to grab the hammer. And I remember like uh, struggling a little bit because it was it was it was it was it was definitely kind of um, you know because I was relying a lot on the physics, and immediately what yeah. I thought about was like what if there was a sort of collider box right there that sort of shows me oh you want to make your hand in like an invisible shape in that shape and then and then all of a sudden it would sort of pull in the hammer towards me or uh, I'm I'm wondering like you know what sort of compromises are, are you making between this realism and again the, the uh, that ease of use so yeah it's all about trying to predict what the user is gonna do so it depends because uh, it could be done an easy way like you approach your hand from there you have like a detector you press grasping and the hand will automatically go at the bottom of the hammer the way you expect it to but what if you want to grab the hammer like the other way with the hand like mm. this then it's more difficult so you really need to try to predict okay you detect along like the the handle part where the hand is of the player when he's grabbing and then we can um, let's imagine he grabs it here uh, it will in real time like detecting along that part where the hand is and then attach the hammer to the hand still in a very like dynamic way so the user doesn't like really feel okay there is a system helping me but i, I grabbed it myself and and then you need to detect for both hands which orientation of the hand, which angle you are from the hammer, and then you snap it this way. But it's not like a, like, like a fixed position. It's really dynamic, but you still want to help the user to, to, to make him grab the hammer, but still in a dynamic way that he can, along the whole part, grab it. On the two different sides of the hand, you can grab it. And 
maybe for example you want to grab the upper part we could have another system on top that will handle uh, this part and help the user also define okay in that zone i want to grab it with my hand this side this side or at the bottom i want to like do a grasping gesture from the bottom but not like holding the handle like a normal hammer it could be per object different system you can you can try to use to really help the user uh, having a pose for his hand that will help him grasp, grasp the object. Well, this is really interesting because what you're essentially saying is that um, it, it and what really, what's really cool is that you're being mindful in that, like by making these compromises, you're also wanting to make sure that you're not limiting or constricting user freedom to enable them to use the sandbox like a sandbox. Like that's, it's, it's good you're thinking about those things. Um, so yeah, of course, there will be that additional snapping system, but it's uh, it's optional. By on uh, by default, it's it will be active because for most users, uh, it's more pleasant to okay. I want to grab that job object; it goes into my hand. But maybe some people just want to be able to fully uh, use only physics to interact with the object, and they don't want that if they try to grasp it this way that it snaps this way. So yeah, to have the best of both worlds, we could have it like optional, and then you can define okay, I want to be helped when grabbing an object, or I want to be fully free to interact any way I want with that object. Roger, did you want to add something yeah, to in that? The first, uh, yeah, and in the first uh, impression, like when we thought about not just doing pure face grabbing, we had that, uh, the similar approach that you had just one position to grab an object. But then we had a, a dagger, and you really want to have stabbing motion so that system doesn't work. Uh, but this end went all over the top so that you could have a hammer and actually rotate it with grasping it with one hand and then the next you can rotate it so it's, it's fully dynamic. Um, because it adds a lot of freedom, especially like if you have a crowbar and other things, it's just so satisfying if you can slide along the crowbar and grab it any way you want. And I think it's it's not fully finished yet, but I think that system has a nice combination between the freedom of how you want to grab something and it still provides you with a lot of help to actually do the action you want. The base up can be a little bit more help where you have more freedom. And I think that is a good combination of the two. It's very complicated to, to get it to feel stable and work well, uh, as Dennis can definitely attest to. But um, it, it's like a combination of the two worlds where you have full physics or full like predefined poses. It's something in between. And I think that could be a really cool solution for, for for many different applications. Um, and we are basically experimenting with that. And then we want to get user feedback. If that is a system which they feel like is usable in multiple different scenarios, or if just you think it's a really cool system, right? We, we always have to test and get as many users to give you feedback to be sure that you're on the right path. Before I go forward and ask you a little bit more about how you conduct your user feedback sessions and things like that, I'm very curious to know about what it is that you're sort of uncovering and discovering in the form of human behaviors um, in this uh, sort of this new uncharted realm. Like, what what are you figuring out or learning about how people are using the virtual, their hands in virtual reality and, and how they're reacting and all these things? Any insights that you might want to share on that? Yeah, so one thing we, we really appreciated to see because we, we made many different experiences and games which were more or less complex. Some of them were too complex because we were trying to use two buttons on the controller. And for new users, even for like 
people that already played VR, but especially for new users which uh, are not used to like game pads or like video games in general, to be able to know where the buttons are, that's always complicated. But if you only have hand tracking, that's what we saw when we let people play Holoception, like like people that were like friends or family and we that were not really familiar with VR and we let them try hand physics lab and we saw we don't, didn't need to explain them anything. They could just like go in there, they saw their hands and immediately they were just trying to do stuff like they would do in real life. They saw a button, okay, they can press on it. They see a cube or an object, okay, they can grab it. And they can just like intuitively using what they know, how they interact in real life with their hands and basically do the same in that virtual environment. With like typical controllers or like those like laser pointer on you, it's still something new they need to like get used to like oh there is a trigger I need to aim I can grab an object with that button I need to move with the joystick it's something new that they're not used to but if they can just do stuff with their hands without having to think okay I need to press that button to do that it's like the, the barrier of entry is really really low and that's really what we think is the the future of your in some way to have nothing in your hands for like the for most people and business application to just be able to interact with your hands and that you intuitively can do stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I think especially like a, if you are more in a commercial environment, like, you know, for businesses, having just the, the friction lowered of how to get into the experience and how to start doing things is very valuable. Also that you only have to have one device powered up correctly. And if you have 20 headsets and you have, you know, 40 controllers lying around, then you mismatch them. It's just like the whole administration of things gets a lot easier. And we were extremely excited uh, when the news came out that Qualcomm now is partnering with Ultrali to get hand tracking you know, directly on the Qualcomm chip. So it's very likely that more headsets will come out which support hand tracking in a sophisticated way, right? Because uh, we finally have the industry like coming together and providing that not just for individual headsets, but actually probably for a broader range of all-in-one devices where um, those kind of inputs become more standardized um, and yeah, as Danny said, the most exciting part for us is always to see how easy you can bring someone into a VR experience when you use pure hand tracking. Whereas every time they have to take the controllers, they, they have some kind of inhibition because they say, I'm not a gamer, I don't want to have controls, but if they can use their hands, it just lowers the barrier of entry. And of course, the hand tracking is not perfect yet, right? We still have to figure out, okay, it doesn't track well if you have your hand up here and those... You have to basically get a focal point where you can make the experience happen. And if you have to try to enforce that the user doesn't go beyond that, otherwise the tracking gets bad and then nothing works anymore. But I think it's the beginning, right? It's the first iteration of a widely accessible hand tracking feature where you don't have to add an additional device. You just have the quest and then it works. And I think it's just the beginning where we see improvements on that and making the, the hand tracking better and better. And then we can do even more experience because now we are still I mean, limited, right? If you have a Nerf gun in your hand and you shoot it, as soon as you go above a certain distance from your body, the tracking gets worse and you cannot track the, the index finger to, you know, pull the trigger in a good way. Um, and those things are still very limiting, but the, the breadth of possibilities are huge. But you need to define like better you, um, UI and UX of how can you use that limited input of, hand, of the hands to make um, actions possible. And it's still we figure stuff out and you know, with double pinching, triple pinching, four type pinching and other things, because there's very limited things you can do and you have to be very smart when you implement an application if you need a wide range of uh, options and possibilities for uh, people to interact. So with Hand Physics Lab, like the grabbing is not a button, but it's just like you basically grab something. Mm. 
Yeah, I, man, I've, how I can go on forever asking you questions about this, uh, but we're going to bring things to the last couple questions, if that's okay. Actually, I have one more before, three, three more questions. Um, what about using the hand, so if I look down at my hand and I like move my pinky in a certain way, what if that activates a radial menu around the hand and all of a sudden I have access to pink point buttons and that? Like, um, have you guys thought about like what... Yeah menus would look like and that yeah. sort of thing with with hands perhaps like if you use the the pinky finger i would have a menu. as soon as you put the in front of it some you have and already the menu is gone and, and flies around so it's it's like because you cannot have the hands in front of each other ah. a, a kind of menu which you have one hand on top of the other will, will just currently not work unless you have a third device right which tracks you from another perspective that you can do that so you have to be very conscious to make maybe something where you hold the hand here and you have a menu here, which would be like a time menu, which comes out so you're sure that you not occlude one hand with the other, because that currently doesn't work. Um, and th there's the other tricks that you maybe, you know, you activate something with one hand, but then it stays stationary and then you can act, interact with it. But uh, it's so many times you think of, oh, that would be a really cool solution. And then the, the tracking actually is not <laughs> good enough to handle it. Um, and you, you have to basically experience it to understand why it gets so complicated. Um, because sometimes it detects that you actually curled more than one finger, although you only curled the index finger. And those are still like little impurities, which get better with every update. But for that, you have to be very conscious when you design something to really test, also especially with multiple users, because not everyone uses the hands perfectly, right? They do maybe, uh, they may be a little bit imprecise maybe too fast and there you have to get a large range of users being able to experiment with it until you know okay that ui will work for the majority of users but uh, it's interesting that you raise that point because um people tend to like underestimate how the gaze input can be important and how you can prevent uh, false positive to happen when especially when you do hand tracking like that basically you look at your hand and that you can easily that you can easily know, okay, that, that hand is now facing me, and then you can do specific finger interaction to basically like open a menu or teleport or do something specific. But when you're interacting with, with stuff, you don't want that by accident. If I do a specific thing gesture, something will happen that I didn't expect. But as soon as you use these interactions, you can easily prevent that and then really only trigger some specific interaction and event when you're actually looking at your palm. Uh, at your palm and then you do a specific interaction with the finger and that is something really not i think not it's not used a lot currently uh, in with hand tracking but that it's really powerful if you use it right wow well thanks so much for that um you guys are true experts on this um last couple questions now down the wire um a little bit more about i really am uh i really do want to know more about how it is that you can like your user feedback and sort of what is the threshold when you want um, your users to try something out? Um, do you want 80% of them to have a positive experience? Do you want 70% to have a positive experience? Like what is that percentage tile before you say, okay, it's good enough. I think we can put it out in the, in the wild and see, and see how it goes. Like, and again, how, how does that you know, feedback loop look like overall? Yeah. Um, so we usually go through multiple stages, right? First, we do it. We have the fortunate uh, situation that we have very critical um, uh, people which work with us, so they will tell you very clearly when things don't work well. Um, so that's very important to be very open for criticism and, you know, communicating openly. If you have multiple teams working on different projects, that you get good feedback from your own team. 
and then once you reach that stage then you get it to family and friends like people which are close to you which know they will give you honest feedback um and we are again are fortunate that we have a lot of people which are very critical which are very mean sometimes with giving <laughs> feedback but that's what you need you need to be able to survive like the the negative points because sometimes you know you create something that's like your baby and you're so happy about it and it's very hard to sometimes absorb the criticism when you think you did something so amazing and they put out the flaws which is not working well but you have to work through that right it's it's really hard sometimes but you have to really focus and try to provide the best experience to those close group which gives you honest feedback and then the best thing is if you have a beta test and uh, it's very hard to get good beta tests to provide you like you know really good feedback and which you know test really the edge cases of what you do but that's always a good thing and uh, for example sidequest is a very good way that you can distribute something to multiple quest users you know to provide your feedback with even if you're in the early stages and that helped us a lot to see that hey people really enjoy hpl to a degree which we didn't actually imagine in the beginning that so many people have fun with it um i think that's very valuable if you get it out there and many people can try it and give you feedback and then and then you have to make a call sometimes okay do we fully invest everything in it and make it a full-fledged product or is it not good enough and it, i think it's not a clear percentage um it's more also a gut feeling right because it's still a very small community in vr we have not mm, 10 billion people like playing uh, games every day so sometimes it's it's a risk you have to take and then you hope that it plans out in the end Dennis? Uh, well, also something we discovered, especially with our other game, Holoception, we know that usually the, the loudest people uh, are, do not represent the majority. Like some people can complain about stuff, but we don't know what the majority of people think. That's why sometimes gathering data or making polls and then trying to really know what the majority wants or what they like or what they don't like is to not only focus on the loud people, because usually those are the ones that will uh, give feedback all the time, but only negative feedback. I and mean, then we should not only focus on those loud people and negative feedback, but really on the broader picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah that, that's the hard part, right? Parsing out. Because what if 90% of people enjoy what you did, but there's you know, 10% which are very loud and tell you every day how bad yeah. it is and you should change that in that way. And you might upset the 90 other percent which are just quiet because if it's good, then they often don't say anything. So that's a really big challenge if you don't like, you know, gather the date of how much time they actually spend playing, etc. And I think those are very important to get, but it's not always easy to collect that data that you have like an objective view. And relying on feedback is great, but it's, it's hard to like judge how much someone played, which gives you so much bad feedback and others which played maybe for hours never gave you any feedback uh, although you want them to give it to you so that's why friends family can sometimes really be important because you can observe and also see how they interact with it. Um, that's really important that you observe someone else going through that the experience you build without them giving any hints how to go through it that you really get objective feedback what is very valuable is if you can bring your users to make a video record of going through it and you know just observing. we learned so much from observing users uh playing holoception for example during the beta phase we learned so much which wasn't working as we intended when we see other people playing um i think that is very very important yeah amazing um uh, all right well the last last question um i'm sure there are aspiring 
VR UX designers out there who would really want to get into space and start getting their hands dirty, but don't really know where to begin. And uh, I'm sort of curious if you could perhaps provide sort of a blueprint or an overall picture of what your workflow looks like, what tools you use, and how you came about to getting to the point where you are. It's a big question, but, you know, might as well. <laughs> well, one of the main aspects is, of course, be curious, be willing to learn a lot, because when you are in the VR field, you need to learn everything everything is new everything which you I don't know if you were like a web developer or developing on mobile basically you and you have to to learn to think differently because developing stuff in 3d is something completely new it's very close to developing like classical video games but it's one step step further because you need to think about immersion interaction and everything that can go bad in VR like motion sickness all that so definitely uh, look into like learning a game engine like uh, unreal or unity or Godot and don't be afraid uh, about coding because as soon as you are able to do stuff you, you can do stuff like very you have like toolkit and framework out there helping you to like teleport and use buttons and all that but if you really want to like build something customized or like something like going a little bit further than, than the tools provided you need to learn to code and then as soon as you like go to because a lot of people really don't want to touch code it's like no something they don't really want to get into but if you really have like that step and then you get into it, you discover how much stuff you can actually do when you know how to code and how to like put uh, and script your ideas and what you want to build really that you can build everything to yourself scratch. I think one important is that when you want to go into the spatial computing domain right now, you're basically a pioneer, right? You're sailing a ship which doesn't know exactly where it's going to go and there's a lot of things which are not solved yet which gives you a lot of inspiration to maybe think differently or find new ways to solve it. In, in, in mobile phones, basically a lot of patents have been well test proven and you know their work. Uh, we still, um, you know, if you talk to uh, even the big corporations, they still have a hard time, which might be obvious in, in a user's mind, but as a developer, you still know, okay, to a solution for those interactions. So basically you're part of a pattern group which tries to solve uh, the new spatial computing which is still in, in stages, right? You have some in control iterations, now it comes hand track. Every year there's uh, the paradigm shifts and you find new things. So it's a perfect time to get into if you're really motivated by getting a challenge and figuring stuff out and f coming up with new ideas to, you know, help to write the book of how UX interactions will be in the future for the new spatial computing domain. And the best thing is, yeah, a game engine is really required. I think it's, uh, if you use Unreal or, or, or Unity or Godot, I, we have no preference. We chose to use Unity, um, but many others have uh, amazing tools as well. It's just what we felt comfortable with uh, at the time, and we are still very happy to use it. Um, it has a fast iteration cycle. You can quickly press play and inspect things. So that helps a lot. Um, and of course, either you are maybe more a 3D designer or like, you know, a modeler or an artist there or a programmer. But if you want to push the boundaries hard and iterate fast and really understand the whole range of things, if you can combine some combined artistic talent with programming or implementing stuff, that is highly valuable at the moment because then you can go quickly through iterations. You don't need to talk to five different people until you can test the prototype, you can do a lot of things yourself. And I think that's highly valuable at the current time where the book is still written of how we do certain things like locomotion still hasn't been solved in a way that it works for everything. It's still 
we, we have like wheels of trying to do it, but we still have not found the solution which works for everything uh, to get no one motion sick. And so there, I think the, the more you are not afraid of code or even start with simple tutorials, right? Where you just throw a, a little ball in a room and you play around with physics in VR is a lot of fun and just get started with very simple. Don't think about too much into the future of what's very gonna, where it's gonna lead you. Just try to play around with VR and understand the medium better because we made a lot of mistakes. We made a lot of prototypes, we experimented a lot and had to learn a lot until we now can easier judge a project or already imagine things a lot better and we fail less often than we did uh, you know, in the beginning. And that's important to learn. Don't be afraid to fail or fail. Things don't work out as you imagine. Don't get frustrated. It's completely normal. It's a new domain and you have to learn a lot of new things until you get really proficient and can judge ideas even from uh, you know, a whiteboard that you already know, okay, that will not gonna work because I already are, are sufficiently experienced. But it takes time and don't worry about it. Well, gentlemen, this has been a really enlightening conversation. How can people stay in touch and follow up with all the things and exciting projects you're working on these days? Uh, well, we have a Discord channel, so uh, we can maybe give you the link. Uh, yep. So you can also put it in probably in um, your description of the video. And yep. we have uh, several Twitter accounts. We have a website, and but we are the most active in our Discord community. Perfect. So, uh, especially if people want to directly ask questions there, we we are we're always eager to, you know, help fellow developers or just have a communication about VR space and how it evolves and the future and what it holds. Amazing. Yeah, I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes of either uh, the YouTube description or on uh, the podcast. And um, check out the Virtual Hand Interaction Lab on itch.io as well. Um, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks to you for uh, hosting us. It was really great to be here. Yeah. yeah uh, it was fantastic being in your huge apartment. It's still <laughs> fascinating. You is quit. Big credit, big shout out to, uh, let me double check. I want to make sure I give a shout out to, um, shout out to, uh, I know, one second lucifer m star lucifer m star the creator of this world whoever you are out there you beautiful soul thank you for making this place and allowing other people like you, us you know use it for these purposes once again thanks so much for your time guys and i'll see you later peace